You're listening to the Digital Void Podcast, where we explore digital culture, media, technology, and memes, featuring critical and empowering conversations with experts at the forefront of our digital moment. My name is Josh Chapdelaine, and my co-host is Dr. Jamie Cohen. How did Palantir develop a meme-obsessed fan base of retail investors? And what does it mean? Palantir is a data management company best known for its military and government contracts. It went public just a few months before the GameStop phenomenon in 2021. But this story differs from the GameStop story. It's not about rallying against a perceived injustice. Rather, it's about a community of people with a true dedication to a tech stock and its CEO, Alex Karp. In online communities dedicated to Palantir CEO Alex Karp, he is often referred to as Daddy Karp. Lord of the Rings memes are shared generously. YouTubers analyze the stock for several consecutive hours on live streams. People debate the company's history with, quote, vampire data stealing. But is there a larger narrative behind the stock that has surged almost 150% in the last year? Today, we welcome Business Insider Senior Correspondent Katie Natopoulos to discuss the story behind Palantir's retail investors and how they shape the market. Before we begin, I'm thrilled to announce the Digital Void podcast will become a weekly podcast in 2024. After several years of on-again, off-again schedules, we're releasing one show per week. You'll notice a new tagline too, tech, media, creators. It's part of a more narrow focus for us as we continue to evolve. We'll also deliver premium content, special live events, virtual events, and original reporting as we expand this year. It's made possible thanks to you as the show continues to grow week over week. I invite you to join and support us by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast platform, sharing this episode on social media, or by rating the show. Now, here's this week's conversation with Katie Natopoulos. Katie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I really admired and fell in love with your piece, how Palantir Stock developed a weird, passionate, meme-crazy fan base. It reveals how a community of retail investors have become obsessed with investing in the big data firm Palantir. So before we dive too deep, who is Daddy Carp and how is he a central figure in this story? <laughs> um, so Alex Carp is the CEO of a company called Palantir. Palantir has been around for about 20 years. It was founded in around 2004 by the somewhat notorious tech personality and investor, maybe not personality, Peter Thiel. And it was created to basically be a sort of data tech firm that could help military and defense contractors. Their initial big client that they started out with was, I think, the CIA, as this has been reported, largely for the first 10 years or so of their existence. They mainly were doing government contracts, defense contract work. But there's like, you know, an immense amount of technological data mining kind of work that goes into this. They branched out to do also more like enterprise, like work for private companies. So you know, they'll have Coca-Cola as a client and they'll use their custom data expertise to come in and help Coca-Cola market online better, you know, stuff like that. 
and they went public in 2020, I think, or 2021. And this was an unusual period in the U.S. stock market where things were kind of going a little bit like up and down and exploding and very weird, unprecedented. I mean, there's a lot of economic factors going on in 2021. But basically, the company itself is not a company that is like a household name. It's not an Apple. It's not a Meta. But it is a big tech company. Alex Karp is a within sort of the tech world, like sort of a celebrity CEO, like people sort of know who he is. He speaks at big conferences and things like that. He's a little bit of an eccentric character. Part of his background is that he has a PhD, I think it's a PhD in philosophy. He's not your average tech CEO. So how does a, so your friend and ours, Ryan Broderick, uh, <laughs> what we talked about years ago, we started talking about meme stonks and the idea of memifying stocks itself. And, and when Ryan and I were talking about back in, uh, January 2021. It was very interesting to see how people were playing with the stock market in a, in a way that was like more revenge-based or fandom-based. So how does a company that's like Palantir, that's like really surveilling people and like in this digital background of surveillance that we have, how does Alex Carp go to Daddy Carp? Like how does someone switch into <laughs> the, the meme space? <laughs> um. So I think there's a there's a couple different things all going on at once. So one thing is that the stock launched right during that height of sort of meme stonk 2021, the the whole GameStop, when the GameStop stock went up and, you know, even though the company's like not a successful company or whatever, that just attracted a ton of retail investors. At the same time, this is like the exact period of the pandemic where all of a sudden like the stock market's booming. Everyone has like weird extra, you know, COVID bonus cash floating around because there was like so many things that were good for the, for individuals in the economy. So people, you know, you get a lot of like people with some time on their hands, they're stuck inside, they're on the internet. They're all of a sudden a couple other apps, you know, Robinhood and stuff are taking off that make retail investing. Uh, Retail investing is where, you just go, you're just a regular Joe Schmo and you pick a stock and you buy it online as opposed to Investor, which is like, you know, Vanguard or Fidelity that buys these or hedge funds that buy huge amounts of stock. So not only has this, the timing has worked out perfectly, all of a sudden retail investing has taken off as sort of a, a fun new gaming pastime, essentially. Palantir is going public right around that time. So people are interested, you know, it's it's a buzzy company that is having it, it's going public, the stock's debuting. And initially the stock is going way, way up. And so of course people jump on this train. They're like, look, this is the new hot stock. Like, let's do it. The GameStop thing, there's some different motivations there. So that was a weird, like you said, like a revenge-based thing of like, a complicated, you know, financial mechanism. It's not that complicated, but uh, it was short squeeze, essentially. Someone, the hedge funds were trying to short the stock. They said, GameStop's bad. And the Redditor said, what if we stop them from shorting it by holding it and buying it? And that will end up profiting. And that was fun. That was sort of like, that was sticking it to the man. The thing that made that a meme stock is that the company itself was not actually like a good stock to buy. People weren't looking at the financials of GameStop and being like, I think this is a smart bet. So that's what made it a meme is that it was actually all sort of a play as opposed to like, we actually believe in this company. We think it's really good. The people that I talk to that are the Palantir fans are like, we actually really believe this company has good financials. We believe that their projections about creating way more revenue in the next five years are accurate. And we think that this stock is going to go up. Like they actually like believe 
that the company is financially going to do well. I do think that what's interesting, the biggest question in my mind is, okay, but what about the fact that this company kind of does an evil thing, right? Like, it's one thing to be like, I think the financials on this are solid. It's another to say, I think the work that it does is not in violation of my moral code. Right. It does, like, it sounds like, it, it, it's just weird to think of fandoms, like, I know the closest comparison we could pull to this, like you mentioned there, is like Tesla. You know, you have these eccentric billionaires who lean into memes, you know, and like kind of make these things part of let's invest because it's part of a cultural phenomenon, you know? I mean, what do they want? They want it to go up to a trillion, right? Like that's their goal? I think something like that. But Tesla is an interesting comparison because it, it is, and this is what a bunch of the people I talk to also says, yeah, that's the only other stock that is where there's just like people who are just rabid fans of it. And when when I say rabid fans, so what I stumbled into is that obviously there's people who buy any stock, right? Like whatever, you know, like they don't care what it makes, what it does, da, da, da. But in this case, it's like there's people who dedicate their entire social presence to talking about this stock. And there's lots of them. There's people who make daily vlogs on YouTube who literally every day are doing like a 10 minute video, maybe like an hour long live stream, just talking about one stock. There's people who their entire, they do like a blog, a newsletter, like they have Twitter accounts. There's a public discord uh, that you can go into where all day long people are chatting about this one stock. And this this is unusual, right? Like this is this is actually abnormal for the stock market. And there's also it's very memey. Like you know, on Twitter, there's someone who's Palantir Chad, which is sort of like a, a meme reference. And they're in the Discord. You know, they're talking the way people talk in Discords, like as if it's they're talking about their favorite video game or whatever. Um, it's very like casual and. They're making a lot of memes. They make a lot of memes about the CEO. And, and they're doing that in, in a very sort of similar way to like how people talk about people who are fans of Elon Musk, how they would make memes about him. Like, he's so awesome. He's so cool. Like, Photoshop his head onto like, you know, some cool movie character or whatever. And, and it is like, it's worth keeping in mind that sort of before Elon Musk's recent fall from grace in the popular, <laughs> um, there were like, People thought he was really cool. Like, he's saving the world by making electric vehicles. He's this genius inventor. Like, he's cool. And people think Teslas are cool because, you know, wow, an electric vehicle. Like, I can't believe it's real. Like, that's awesome. And so, like, so people really did get excited about that stock. It also was like, it's a big stock. Like, Tesla is one of the top 10, you know, biggest market caps out there right now. In comparison, Palantir is much, much smaller. I think it's like around a $30 billion company as opposed to Tesla, which is like a $250 billion company or something like that. One really interesting thing about this is that by CARP cultivating and encouraging a community of meme creators on Reddit and Discord and platforms across the board, we see that he advertently or not, creates a sort of resistance to any criticism that the company faces. And that's a really interesting dynamic. You highlight Edward Dorsey's The Bear Cave substack. And earlier this year, Dorsey critiqued Palantir for being, quote, a glorified consulting consultant, a, quote, a glorified consultant masquerading as an AI leader aided by spurious transactions to inflate the company's financial profile, end quote. 
And in response, Palantir CEO Carp pushed back on the piece and suggested Dorsey should stay in the bear cave. The response became super popular on Reddit and was followed by a comment by Carp at a conference when he said that he was making big tendies, which is a reference to making a lot of money. So what does Carp believe he gains by leaning into these communities? And how does it affect people who try to lodge criticism at the company. So first of all, I believe the big tendies happened before the Bear Cave article. And just so there, there's this super popular newsletter, Substack, that's all about, you know, finance, investing stuff. And its general thing is like, it will look at a company and say, I don't think this is actually a good company or like, this is not a good investment. And it did one for Palantir. The merits of which are not worth getting into, right? Like, I think it's kind of like they're either you can debate endlessly whether or not a stock is good or bad. That's part of the entire finance system, right? But it really, you know, riled up the the fandom, of course. So big and interesting thing about Palantir, like its stock, is that unlike most stocks, most average stocks. Only about 20% of the stockholders are going to be retail investors. It's going to be mostly like the big, you know, Vanguard, Fidelity, what like hedge funds, like big institutional investors. Some portion it's pretty normal for it to be held by insiders, like the CEO owns a bunch or the, you know, other people who work there, things like that, and early investors. Palantir, I think it's something like 58% of the stock is held by retail investors. So retail investors are incredibly important to Palantir's stock in a way that is unusual for most companies. And so you can imagine a scenario, you know, and I don't know if this is exactly what's happening. I can't read Alex Karp's mind. But you can imagine a scenario where it is... Uh, it behooves him to keep the retail investors happy, to keep them excited, to make it seem as if they're a little bit like getting some love from him in a certain way of like he's responding to some of the stuff that they're putting out there, you know, by like pushing back on this barricade thing, which to be fair, like it was a negative article and in an influential although niche outlet. So, it, you know, it's reasonable that like he didn't come out of nowhere. Like some, I think it was a reporter from Bloomberg asked him and in, in something uh, to come on in that. But there is a sense among the retail investors, one of whom I talked to was like, one of the things that we love about Alex Carp is that he's always like kind of giving us little drops, like little nuggets of like, he's secretly talking to us. Like there was a time where Coca-Cola had let, like stopped its contract and then he had like a conference where he was at an interview and he had a bottle of Coke out on like the desk next to him. And we all were like, ooh, that's the sign. Coke is coming back. And then like a week later, they announced Coke is back as a client. And to be fair, someone else who I was talking to, and this was over the, the Discord, um, was like, mm, I don't know about that. I think maybe he just was drinking a bottle of Coke. Yeah, this sounds pretty baked. Like this sounds like a Q drop almost like... <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think it's it's both. It can be both. Right. Like it's possible that he I think he does a little bit lean into engaging with retail investors, probably not directly, but enough to also excite them in this way that they think that he's doing it, even if he's not. And like that perception becomes its own fuel. Right. One thing that Edwin Dorsey from the Bear Cave sort of pointed out that the fact that he does, not even Alex Carr, but that the company interacts with retail investors to such a degree is potentially a red flag as just purely like a stock issue. Um, and one thing he sort of pointed out as like a quantifiable thing 
is that Palantir puts out a ton of press releases, like investor press releases. If you look at its like investor relations on its website, like it's put out like 25 or 30 press releases this year, right? Like it puts out a press release every time it gets like a new client or like some new update or something, which is essentially a lot of talking to retail investors because at an institution, institutions might have a different level of sort of access to talk to the, you know, Joe Schmo, who owns a couple Robinhood purchase stocks, isn't going to get the inside line in the way that like, you know, someone from Goldman Sachs or whatever is. You know, in comparison, a company like Meta has put out like five press releases. It just puts out like a press release around like its quarterly report or something like that. So just purely the number of press releases is a way of sort of like fueling this sense among, and, and this was this big thing that all the retail investors I talked to were like, we love researching the company and no one else is researching it the way that we are. And so that's why we know that this is a good company, but everyone else is like sleeping on it. And I think part of that is, yeah, like giving them a little bit more to research with. So I, I came into this thinking much more on the perspective of fandoms, like the idea of like, this is like the way Tesla's fandom works. But the way you're explaining it makes it much more sound like looking for the hidden details, trying to make stock happen, you know, like trying to make this work for them, like almost like, I don't think any of these people are manifesting, but it does feel like they're trying to get a fandom cohered as a group to be an inside group. You know, this is this is our thing. And like, there's there's a quote you have here from, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, uh, Amit uh, Kukreja, I think his name is. It says, I don't think a company with a lot of fandom gets to be known as a meme stock unless the fundamentals of the business are so dog shit where it's like you would only invest in it as a joke. And it's like, that almost seems contradictory to the way this sounds. Like, this is like, they want to be in this fandom. Like, they think it's a good stock. Yeah. So that particular quote was sort of in reference, he had said that as to why Palantir is not a meme stock in the way that GameStop was. So, you know, his description is like, GameStop was a meme because it was dog shit. It's to say that, like, they believe in the company. I mean, I do think that one thing that sort of works, again, in Palantir's behalf is it's really confusing what this company does. Like, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this company and reading about it, and I have trouble putting in words exactly what it does. Like, I'm like, it does data, manage, like, even the, like, words for it. And part of that is because it is intentionally opaque because it's doing government work that it can't be like, this is exactly what we do, you know? And it doesn't make widgets. It doesn't make household things you can buy or that are tangible. I think that there becomes this thing of like the people who are spending a lot of time investing into learning what it does are feeling really rewarded because they're like, well, no one else understands the type of AI that it's trying to build right now. Like, and if you don't understand AI and you don't understand these technical elements of everything they're doing, then like you won't get it. Like you won't understand why this is a good stock. But if you really understand all this technical stuff, then you'll see that like they're going to win the AI market or whatever. Interesting. Sounds like something like LinkedIn Broetry would do too. Like it's a mix of all. I mean, I think it's a mix of all of that. But I, like, I think part of it is like a fandom. You outsiders just don't understand. Like, right. you don't love the Winchester Brothers the way that we do. You know. <laughs> right. So, knowing what you know about how the internet operates in these like very niche spaces, what are the long term effects of creating fandoms for like dark surveillance money and dark companies and stocks? Are we leaving the investing our communities into internet-centric, tiny niche things and going into this more public, like 
money investment is this like a sign of people growing up like is this what happens like people now start moving their communities into like stocks rather than into like the weirdest things that you could possibly be involved with it's a good question i mean i think that there will be this interest in retail investing will be around for a while Long term, I don't know. It is fairly new. You know, in the last couple of years, this big surge in retail and investment interest. And like, you can see the appeal in it, right? Because like, you can make money, right? Like, that's cool. Like, if I'm going to, I spent a lot of time online doing nothing. And I, you know, <laughs> I'm not making money off of that. Like, I should spend my time researching stocks. That would be awesome. Like, that's, that, like, doesn't that seem like that would be like a cool thing to do? And I think that, like, if you're someone who maybe has a little bit of financial knowledge, like maybe you took like a couple classes in college or something like that, you're like, yeah, I can, I can do this. Like the stock market's not that intimidating. I can get in there and I can make some good moves. There's a whole influencer culture to it. There's tons and tons and tons of like investing in stock influencers that are you know, I mean, there's traditional ones like the people from CNBC or whatever, the who's the mad money guy with the Jim Cramer, Jim Cramer, yeah. you know, but there's people who are also sort of like young and online only and like are mainly like YouTubers or stuff like that. I think that it's, you know, it is very much a young male interest. So is the finance world. I mean, maybe not young, but I do think that the the thing that seems less exciting about all this is that like on the whole retail investors lose money and like that's history shows that right like there's a long pattern of this it's possible that all the studies that have looked into how retail investors generally lose money the same way that like that's the way the casinos exist is that most people lose money yeah does it seem like this because of the inability for us to like peg down what this company actually does like is that what makes it more of like some ways reminds me of like crypto you know you don't really you don't really know but it had crypto survived in the retail space because of the fandom it had to be memed in order to Mm -hmm. keep the the energy keep going you know i'm learning a lot here because it does seem like the retail investors may be aware if they've done enough research they know where they stand but then they could at least at least they could walk away with saying well at least i'm not in by myself you know like i'm part of a group of people who are making this happen and making this work. So does it help that this company is opaque? Like, is that like part of that? I think it definitely does. And I think it does in a very similar way to crypto where like, well, the normies just don't understand. And so the haters and my mom and everyone else who's telling me I'm stupid for buying this monkey JPEG is like, they don't just don't, they don't get it. They don't understand the (laughs) blockchain. They don't understand ownership. I definitely do think that the opaqueness of what the company does in this case makes it helpful. You know, it's possible that there will be some weird, you know, like, it's hard to predict what could be another stock that would get such a, like, weird, surprising fandom. Some of the things about Palantir, like, kind of make sense, right? Like, it's a tech company. Tech is interesting. They're, you know, it's more interesting than, like, a company that makes, like, foot fungus medication or something, right? right? Like, um, or like something more boring, like just like an accounting services company or something like that. There's lots of boring companies on the stock market. So like it does something exciting. Like it's a company that's like in the press. The CEO is like weird and interesting. 
it is just the thing about that it is also like an evil defense contractor that does make it so unusual. (laughs) But just sort of going back to that, I mean, the people I talked to, they're, you know, that was the thing I asked them all about is like, how do you feel about the fact that this company is kind of controversial and like has done some things that maybe you might not agree with? And they, they had sort of different responses. You know, one person I talked to was pretty straightforward where he was like, look, like, At the end of the day, I want to make money and I think this stock is going to make me money. Like, do I like everything they've done? No, but I think it's a good stock pick. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Straightforward, that's capitalism. (laughs) You know, like, okay. You know, other people were like, they really didn't want to engage with the idea that Palantir had done bad things. And they really were rationalizing out all the things. So, for example... The stuff with ice, I was like, well, what the stuff with ice? And they were like, no, no, no. But they weren't involved in the bad stuff with ice. And I was like, yes, they were. Really <laughs> <And laughs> <your> thing. <laughs> uh, like, you know, but there was sort of a controversy about it. And I think that it's possible, like, because they had initially lied about it. So, you know, some of the people I were like, we're like, well, if you want to know what they're doing, just listen to what, like, you need to go listen to this interview with Alex Carp. And I'm like, I'm not sure that the only or the best way to learn about what a company's doing is to just hear an interview with the CEO because you can't always just take the CEO's word right. for it, mm-hmm. right? Or the press Especially, releases, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think, and then some other people were like, look, the stuff with ICE, do I think that it was a good policy? No, I don't like that policy, but the government made the policy and, you know, they're a government contractor. And so they were fulfilling their duty as the company to fulfill the government contract the government was the one it's not a palantir problem it's a trump problem right like right. that if they do stuff if they're building weapons that are going to be or you know or tools for the military because they don't build physical weapons if they're building tools for the military to go do things that i don't necessarily approve of that's the government's problem not the company that's making it right do you think this is like a sign of what's to come do you think like p- these companies like we're moving into a much more tech space it's a lot more ethereal mm-hmm. do you think companies and, and ceos like carp are going to be like the sign of like building investor communities that turn into meme communities are we going to see more of this i imagine yes i think that retail investing online is going to be here for the next five to ten years if you're a CEO of a company that maybe a lot of large investors have been a little bit allergic to for whatever reasons, like, for example, your controversial ties to unpopular deportation policies, uh, which is not to say I, I don't even know that that's why traditional companies have stayed away from them, it might behoove you to court retail investor excitement. I think the other thing is that retail invest, you know, retail investor excitement will go up and there is sort of this whole, you know, Part of the whole meme stonks thing, and this is sort of similar to the crypto NFT world, is it's not just that these people want to buy a stock and hold it and then forget about it. And maybe they'll check the news in the newspaper about the company. They want to talk about it. They want to be in a community. And that reinforces this idea that like we're in it together and like you're hyping each other up. It's it's the whole uh, apes together strong, that, you know, which was this big thing during the NFT bubble was like, we're all in it. And if we all hold and we all do it, like it's going to be great. And I talked to um, a professor at Baruch College in CUNY who's like a finance professor who has written a paper on like 
social in influence in this kind of stuff. And like what she had found is that like the social influence of looking at social media influencers on stock picks is incredibly powerful. Like people really will listen to social media advice to not always great results, right? So I do think that like there will continue to be lots of retail investors. They will continue to be Reddits and Discords where people get together around a particular company, whether it's a good company, a bad company, I don't care, who knows, like, and they will hype each other up and make themselves believe that they've really got the best stock pick, that they know something that no one else knows, and that they're all, you know, to the moon, they're going to all become billionaires, Lambos, you know, the whole, the whole deal. I don't want to see people lose money. Like, I hope that happens for people. I would love it if lots of random people became rich. Like, I would prefer that outcome, right? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be like, these idiots are going to lose money. Like, fuck them, right? I hope it works out. Like, but I think there's real serious risk there for them. Katie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to Katie and a big thank you to you for joining us on the Digital Void podcast this week. We look forward to seeing you again next week.